0: Hello and welcome to Kingwood United Methodist Church. Thank you for joining us today. Wherever you're listening from, and whatever service you're listening to, we strongly believe because of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is always more to life. As we open up the Word today, we're going to be in Jonah, chapter beginning in chapter one. We've been in a series called Callings. Now, calling is not something that we may be familiar with in our time, but it is something that the Israelite people in the, in the age of, of Moses, in the age of the prophets, in the age of Jesus, would know and understand deeply. You see, biblical calling is oftentimes out of something. Sometimes it is into something else and most of the time it is both. We also see in Scripture that calling is not to the elite. Calling is not to the, the wealthy, always. It is not always to the supreme, the one with the most resource, the one with the most skill, the one with the best speech. But oftentimes calling is to people like you and me. Oftentimes calling is to people like the fishermen alongside the lake who are called by name uneducated but called by name sometimes it is to to the woman named Esther who is placed in that spot for such a time as this as we heard last week but most of the time it's the common ordinary people like you and me and today as we hear the story of calling we hear the story of calling in the book of Jonah now when you think of Jonah what's the first thing you think of the whale whale. you go ahead and show the show the popular kids books right if you would just see the cover of these books you would think that the story of Jonah is about a man drowning and a fish swallowing him up but the reality of this story is that it is not about a whale at all. This story almost seems fairy talesque. See, there's two camps when we when we understand this book of Jonah, there's two camps, even in the, the the Orthodox theology, there are some people who read this book, scholars who read this book as history. And there's some scholars who read this book more parabolic almost as a satire to the people of israel now we're not going to not going to parse as to which one of those is true and which one of those is right because there's very smart people on both sides of that story but if you find this story as you read it to be unbelievable if you find this story to be a hang-up to understanding and and gathering the context and, and what this story is meaning to say, don't get hung up on the, the unbelievability of it. Do I believe that God is capable of doing all the things in this story? Amen. He is, he is the creator of all things. But if, if you get hung up on this story because it seems unbelievable, remind, let me remind you that it is not about the whale. You see, the author of this text, when he writes this story, his goal is to draw the reader in. Right? To to draw the reader in 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 almost a, a comical way. And then at the end, just like the fish sees the lure and comes towards it, at the end, the author hooks you. You see... This is a story, not about a whale. This is a story about Israel and their calling. Israel, their calling to be the chosen people for which God would reveal himself to the world and how they have neglected their call. This story of Jonah is the story of calling, obedience, of grace and justice, of conviction and selfishness. This story is about you and me. This story is a mirror into our own hearts, into our own souls, into our own attitudes. So let's dive into scripture. But before we do that, let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for today. We give you thanks for the word of God. That when we read it, as the author of Hebrews says, It is alive and active and should judge the thoughts and the attitudes of our heart. God, this is a window into our soul. And so may we read this word and be convicted. May we read this word and know and learn a little bit more about who we are and who you have called us to be. God, we honor you and we give you thanks for who you are. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we open up the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to, the, to Jonah chapter one. I believe it'll be on the screens as well. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because, it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Let's stop right, right there real quick. To understand this, we must uh, we must see this story through the context of the Hebrew reader. When you hear the word Jonah, we often think Jonah and the whale, but they haven't heard that story yet. But they have a context of who Jonah is. Jonah is mentioned one other time in the Hebrew scripture. He's mentioned in Second Kings, where he is a prophet to one of the nastiest kings in their history. Jeroboam 2. He's the son of maybe the nastiest king in their history. And Jonah is not a prophet that speaks against this king. But Jonah is actually a prophet that speaks of him receiving blessing. Jonah is a prophet that has spoken in favor of this king. And so when you, the the Hebrew reader, hears this name Jonah, you're not thinking great hero of the faith. Your thought might be a little bit different. And then the writer brings in his father's name, which in the Hebrew, Amittai, means my truth or faithful. And so you, the reader, would be laughing at this point. Jonah, the faithful right? Jonah, son of faithful. That's funny, right? Because that's not the context that they understand Jonah in. You see, the reader is drawing us in, or the the author is drawing us in. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Nineveh was a city uh, of Assyria, the capital city of Assyria. Nineveh was known for their cruelty. Nineveh was known for conquering 10 of the 12 tribes of Judah, of of Israel. So Jonah is not a big fan. The Israelite people are not a big fan. They were known for their cruelty. When when they would conquer a leader, they would bring the leader, when they conquer a nation, they would bring the leaders up front and they would skin them alive and watch them die to instill fear in the nation that they conquered so that they might be in servitude to them. This was not a nice people. And so we, as the, as the reader, begin to understand why Jonah is hesitant. It says, but... In verse two, it says, arise and go. In, in, the, in the NIV, it says, arise and go to this city. But Jonah rose and fled, it says. You see, I love this idea of arise and go because arise means that he was in a place of stationary. He was in a place where he was not in movement. He was in a place of sedentary, comfortable living underneath a king who was wealthy and was, he was on his side. So Jonah had a pretty cush gig. And God says, arise, step out of your comfort, step out of your sedentary life and go in the direction that I am calling you to go. And I love it, Jonah, he rose (laughs) and he fled, right? (laughs) He went running the opposite direction. The reader would be laughing hysterically because we understand these two different places. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You see, Tarshish is not even close, right? Tarshish is... Go ahead and show that picture of the map. Joppa is where he is. Nineveh is where he's called. And Tarshish is known as the very last port on earth. (laughs) Literally, the last place that you can go before you enter into the great unknown of the Pacific Ocean. And so the author is trying to bring about, trying to show the ridiculousness of this of this fleeing. Not only that, but Jonah, are you not a man of God? Jonah, do you not know Psalm 139? Oh, where can I go from your presence, O oh Lord? No matter where I go, you are there. Does Jonah not know? The author is setting us up. Thanks again for joining us for today's message. We will return to the sermon in a moment, but first, we would like to ask for you to rate, share, and subscribe to our podcast. We believe God is doing some amazing things here at KUNC, and your feedback helps our church to reach new listeners that we wouldn't otherwise be able to reach. Now, let's get back to the work. What are you? He says, oh, I follow the Hebrew God, the the one who created the land and the sea. They're like, what did you do? What did you do to cause all of this? And, And he tells this story and he says, just cast me over. I would rather die than go back to where God has called me to. I would rather die than go to that place. And as we, as the reader, we don't know why. We don't know the motive behind why Jonah fled so far, why he was so adamant about running away. We can make assumptions as the reader. We can make assumptions that he was afraid. I mean, I'd be afraid too if, if, uh, if in the early first, century, first uh, in the 19, 1920s, 1930s, if you said uh, that I was supposed to get plopped down in the middle of Germany and hold up a sign that says, down to the Third Reich, I mean, I'd be... I'd be <laughs> I'd be a little scared too, right? So we don't know all of the motive. We don't know all of the story, but we see that Jonah is very adamant about running away. And he lands in the water and he begins to sink into the depths. And God sends a miraculous fish, a large fish. Remember, it's not about the whale. But he sends a large fish and in the belly of the large fish, Jonah says this prayer. Has kind of, sort of, sort of a kind of a come to Jesus moment. In Jonah 2, 8 and 9, we see a little bit of that prayer. You have that on the screen. Those who, he says, he says in response to, to the people of Nineveh, he says, those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I, I will sacrifice to you, O oh God, what I have vowed I will make good, I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. In other words, those worthless people, they don't deserve anything. They don't deserve any good. They don't deserve anything, but I, because I am so faithful, son of a tie, I'm a tie. I will go because you said so, fine. And he submits to the will of God and and God spits him out. In chapter three, he spits him out onto the ground, onto dry land in no other place but the city of Nineveh. (laughs) The reader is dying hysterically at this point. Says Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Arise and go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. Now pause right there. The reader of this this text would uh, we, we, when we read this, we say, oh man, that's a, that's a huge city, right? Three days to get into this city, that must be a very, very large city. But with the reader of this uh, text in the first century or earlier would know that there is no city in, in the history of mankind up to this point that is a three-day walk into the city, this is astronomically huge. There are no metropolises in ancient time like this. Archaeologists say that the city was about seven miles circumference all the way around. Now, I don't know about you. You may be a slow walker, but, but to, walk, to walk the diameter of that city, maybe two miles in diameter, probably wouldn't take you three days. But the, the author is trying to get and help you to understand what Jonah, the way Jonah sees this city, that it is insurmountable, that it is gravely larger than, than the task that he is ready or willing to take on. It reminds me of those moments when my wife tells me to, fold the, or to put away the laundry that's on the bed, <laughs> right? And you walk in and you see the mound of laundry and, you, and it's, already, it's already folded, right? She already folded it for me, right? I walk in and I'm like, you know, I think I got some bills to pay, you know, I, I, maybe I'll go change the oil on, my, on, my, on the car or, or organize the garage or really anything than that, and I don't know why laundry is such an issue with me, um, but it is, uh, and it's so much of an issue uh, that oftentimes what I do is that I, I let it sit there, and then I leave, and I come back when it's like time to go to bed, and it's sitting there, and it's, it is impeding me in my sleep. And so I take the laundry, and I put it on the floor next to the bed, and we call this the nook. And my nook will build, and it will build, and it will build after days and days of doing this. Uh, in my nook are things like folded laundry. Uh, in my nook are things like... Uh, worn but not dirty clothes. You know that? You know those clothes? Right? The ones that, the ones that we wore, but you know, they're, yeah, I could wear those again before they're actually dirty. And then all of my shoes for the week. Right? And, and this, this pile, it builds and builds and builds. And it becomes larger and larger and larger than life. It is a three-day walk. And so we avoid And so we avoid the calling of the Lord because sometimes calling, sometimes the things that God calls us to seem far too daunting, seem far too out of our capabilities, seem far too big or far too impossible for us to accomplish. You see, calling challenges our vision of the good life and compares it up to up next to God's vision of the good life for you. You see when when God calls both the first time and the second time, arise and go. He doesn't call Jonah to arise and be effective. He doesn't call Jonah to arise and have it all figured out or to arise and and be fully sufficient for the task that I've given you. He says, arise and go, and that's it. Arise and trust in me. Trust that I am in charge of the fruit of this situation. For I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me, only abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So when Christ calls us, when God calls us into, into whatever he is calling us or out of whatever he is calling us, he's not calling us to be 100% effective, but 100% faithful. And so Jonah walks into the city. In verse four, it says, Jonah began, began by going a day's journey into the city. A day's journey into the city into the two mile city. You know, if, if I can imagine Jonah's walk into the city, it looks something like this, <sighs> nope, <laughs> nope, you know, like, oh, I can do this, or or maybe like my kids, when I tell them to, to go clean up the, the room, you know, they're like, <laughs> you know, just kind of slumping along. I, I can imagine how that, that walk might take about a, about a day, right? But he walks. He finally, after a day's journey, gets him to the middle of the city. And here comes the greatest sermon you've ever heard in your life. (laughs) Forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Exit stage. (laughs) And that's it. And we don't know exactly all of the things that were said or how many times he said it, but the author clearly doesn't, doesn't want us doesn't need us to know that he needs us to know that that this speech is very insufficient for what for the task that he's been given right there is nothing in this speech about their sin and the things that they have done in order to get into the place that they are there is no mention of even God in this sermon right if I was doing a a YouTube playlist of of the top 10 greatest sermons of all time this might be on there because of the change that it made but not because of the, of the presenter of the sermon, but because of the power of the God behind it. It's almost, it's almost like Jonah was trying to throw the game. It's almost like Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to actually hear the message of the Lord. And lo and behold, what does God do? The whole city, even the cows, even the livestock repent, (laughs) the author says. Right? If there's not comedy in this scripture, right, the, the reader of this would say, that's ridiculous, right? Even the cows repent and turn away from their wicked ways. And if I was Jonah... I'd be like, man, God, you're good. That was impressive. But the point of this story happens in in chapter four. Jonah walks away. He says this. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. And now the author holds up the mirror. He says, this is you. This is us. You see, Jonah's calling was not to go and preach this message. This Jonah's calling was to offer grace when all he wanted was judgment. Jonah's calling was to the people that he hated the most. He was not afraid of what they might do to him. He didn't run away out of fear for these people. He ran away out of hatred and spite for these people. And the beauty of this story is God called Jonah to offer grace to the person that least deserved it, and that Jonah hated the most. So church, with a mirror in your face, who is your Nineveh? Is it the left or the right? Is it the insert people group here and insert stereotype here? Is it the police who are too violent or the people who are, who are uh, too hateful? Is it the immigrants who are stealing our jobs? Or is it the neighbor who keeps their grass too long? Or the relative, the person in your life that hurts you the most? Maybe long ago, maybe recently, or hurt the people that you love. God calls, God's calling in this circumstance and situation is to bring about grace and not judgment and justice. Church, let us be careful desiring judgment for people in our lives or our skewed understanding of justice over grace, lest we be thrown into that same lot For you and I too are that man. For amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a like me. This story has um, had profound impact on my life over the last few months. God has convicted me of this in deep ways without going into too much detail, a mentor of mine from my past caused a great injustice, a moral failing that hurt some people that I loved and hurt me. And I was put in a place to confront this person on the things that they had done. And all that I wanted in my heart and in my soul was to get justice, was to blow this person's life up. All that I wanted was judgment for this person. And in a beautiful moment of the Holy Spirit's presence in my life, I felt convicted that my only role, that my only job was to offer forgiveness and grace. And friends, it was the hardest conversation I've had in a very long time. And I know that my words were not sufficient, much like Jonah's. But I trust that the Holy Spirit is working on the back end of that to see fit that he brings his version of justice in that situation and not my own skewed version. My calling was to align my heart with God's, to follow in obedience and offer grace. I'm going to close with this. Our simplest understanding of calling is to step into alignment with God's heart and to follow with obedience. If you're looking for a biblical understanding of calling, it is to align our hearts with God's and to step in and follow that that calling with obedience. Am I going to settle for the contentment, for the comfortable? for the stagnant, for the sedentary place that I am, or am I going to arise and entertain this new invitation to life that God has called me to? Church, God is calling us to arise and go and offer grace over judgment even to those who have done nothing to deserve it. The choice then is, church, Will you arise and flee and pursue your own understanding of the good life or will you arise and go and trust that the Lord's version of good is sufficient for you? As we close today, I wanna put up a few questions for you to process this week. Um, You can take out your phone and take a picture of this Um, You can allow that to kind of settle and and to process with your your spouse or someone in your life. But number one, do you believe that God's calling for my life, do I believe that God's calling for my life is better than my version or vision of the good life? Number two, is there sin in my life that is keeping me from following God's call in my life? And number three, is there a passion or a burden that God has recently placed in my heart. Or maybe, just maybe, this is the beginning. This is the small, still voice of calling in your life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and all God's children said, Amen.